Uh, if you don't know me, my name is uh, Pastor Devin Mitchum. I am Pastor Jason's son. Don't judge me. Uh, basically, you get the wish.com version of Pastor Jason, if anyone knows what that is. Uh, my goal today is that you beat the Baptist to lunch. It's 1044. We can do that. I'm usually pretty quick. Um, first off, I am just so honored to be able to be here, honored to stand here and be able to, to, to preach today. Uh, I do want to take a moment, as always, and honor the pastor of the house, my father, Pastor Jason. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here, allowing us to be here. Thank you for your vision. Um, it's just an honor that we even get to be here and, and do that all under, all under his, uh, his vision, his authority, and we're just, we're grateful. So um, I'm going I'm to start out by reading a portion of scripture out of Ezekiel chapter 8. Uh, we're going to start in verse 5. So if you have your Bibles, Ezekiel chapter 8, starting in verse 5. I'm not going to ask you to stand because we're going to read almost the whole chapter here. But it says, Then the Lord said to me, Son of man, look toward the north. So I looked, and there to the north, beside the entrance to the gate near the altar, stood the idol that had made the Lord so jealous. Son of man, he said, do you see what they were doing? Do you see the, the detestable sins the people of Israel are committing to drive me from my temple? But come, and you will see even more detestable sins than these. Then he brought me to the door of the temple courtyard, where I saw a hole in the wall. He said to me, now, son of man, dig into the wall. So I dug into the wall and found a hidden doorway. Go in, he said, and see the wicked and detestable sins that they are committing in there. So I went in and saw the walls engraved with all kinds of crawling animals and detestable creatures. I also saw the various idols worshipped by the people of Israel. Seventy leaders of Israel were standing there with Jazaniah, son of Shaphan, in the center. Each of them held an incense burner from which a cloud of incense rose above their heads. Then the Lord said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the leaders of Israel are doing with their idols in dark rooms? They are saying, The Lord doesn't see us. He has deserted our land. Then the Lord added, Come, and I will show you even more detestable sins than these. Verse 14, he brought me to the north gate of the Lord's temple, and some women were sitting there weeping for the god Tamaz. Have you seen this, he, said, he asked, but I will show you even more detestable sins than these. Then he brought me to the courtyard, into the, into the, or, then he brought me into the inner courtyard of the Lord's temple at the entrance to the sanctuary between the entry room and the bronze altar. There were about 25 men with their backs to the sanctuary of the Lord. They were facing east, bowing low to the ground worshiping the sun. Today I'm going to preach a message titled, The God of Blessing, lowercase g on God, the God of Blessing. Let's just pray quick as we go into this. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to be here in this place. God, I pray that as I bring this word, uh, that you would anoint this word, God, that you would let this word fall on fertile ground. God, I pray that you open every heart and every mind. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we find this guy, Ezekiel, and I'll be honest with you, I've read through Ezekiel. I never studied Ezekiel a whole lot. I had um, someone tell me about three weeks ago that, hey, go read Ezekiel. So I did. And uh, while we were on sabbatical, I just tore through this book, and there's so much in here. This guy, Ezekiel, was a prophet during the period of time uh, when the people of Israel were in Babylonian captivity, so they were in exile. Um, and e Ezekiel was not just a prophet to have a word from God. Oftentimes, when God would give Ezekiel a word, he would actually make, make him act it out. So what's crazy is when we find this passage of scripture, I'm going to set the scene for you. When all this happened, Ezekiel was in a period of time where two things were happening. One, um, God had Ezekiel laying on his side. If you read earlier in Ezekiel, he had to spend a, a whole lot of time laying on his side, 
uh, to fulfill one of the prophecies. But then two, God had actually taken his tongue and stuck it to the roof of his mouth. And Ezekiel could only speak when God himself gave him a word. So the only words that Ezekiel could speak were the exact words that God gave him. Is there anyone in this house that has that wish for their spouse? (laughs) Or children? I don't. I'm just saying. Um, I got to be honest. Sometimes I have that wish for the high schoolers when I'm trying to preach at youth. They don't stop talking sometimes. So he could only say exactly what God wanted him to say and no more, which is amazing because when we find this portion of scripture in Ezekiel chapter 8, the leaders of the tribe of Judah, again, they're in exile, which means they're, and they're not in their land. They're, they're under Babylonian captivity. There's this whole culture where they're, they're growing inside of, of the Babylonian culture, and they're kind of like, they have like their little subculture inside of it. And the leaders of the tribe of Judah come to Ezekiel, go into his house, and sit down asking for a word from God. From a guy that can't talk and is laying on his side. And even then, but the cool part is, is God does it. He speaks. But what I find crazy is that what God speaks is not exactly encouraging. We, we're, so what we're going to do, we're going to go all the way through Ezekiel chapter 8, and we're going to point out the things that God shows uh, Israel during that time, shows the, the leaders of Judah during that time. So the, uh, Ezekiel chapter 8, verses 5 and 6 says, Then the Lord said to me, Son of man, look toward the north. So I looked toward the north beside the entrance to the gate near the altar stood the idol that made the Lord so jealous. Son of man, he said, do you see what they are doing? Do you see the detestable sins the people of Israel are committing to drive me from my temple? He, he comes to him in this place of exile this place where an, an encouraging word of God would have been like, this would have been the time that God could have been like, I'm going to restore your land and fulfill your, all the previous prophecies. Like, this would have been the time for that. And that's not what he says. He actually says, uh, well, you actually are placing things ahead of me. So the first thing, if you're taking notes, the first thing that God showed Ezekiel that Ezekiel had to point out was man-made idols. And I love what it says here in verse 5. It said, stood the idol that made the Lord so jealous. Your God is a jealous God. He's jealous of your time. He's jealous of your attention. So the question has to be asked, if that's the very first thing that, that God shows Ezekiel for him to tell, what's going on there? What's happening in this time to where the very first thing that Ezekiel says in this passage is the idol that made the Lord so jealous is at the gate. There was a man-made idol. People were, had turned their attention away from God into man-made idols. So the question I have to ask today is what idols are we putting in front of God? What things have we placed between us and God? And then here's the thing is I'm preaching to the choir because every single one of us have things that we, that we constantly put in front of God. But we have to remember that he's a jealous God. He wants all of you, not just your Sunday morning. He wants your life, not just the convenient moments when, nah, I got nothing better to do to this weekend, so I'll show up. 
And better yet, he doesn't just want you to attend faithfully. He wants a relationship with you. And anything that you put between you and God makes him jealous. It makes him, him jealous and, and, and want to know, or we have to ask the question, what are those things and why are they so important that we have to put them in front of God? Talk to the men in the room for a moment. Husband, father, what you deem important, your family will deem important. The things that you say are important, your family will also say are important. If the house of God and a relationship with God is a priority in your life, it'll be a priority in your family's life. And how do I know that? There's an actual statistic out there by Barna that says that when the man of a household, the husband or father of a home, finds Jesus and has a relationship with Jesus, there's a 96% chance that so will his family. So I think it's important to take a moment and talk to the men of the room. Husbands, if we're not leading our wives into a relationship with Christ, we've already missed it. If we are not the spiritual head of our homes, leading our families into a relationship with Christ, then we have already missed it. When sports become more important than the church, they will become more important to the church for your kids. I'll even say it. When school becomes more important than a relationship with God, that will be the exact same thing for your children. The thing that you place of importance in your home, the, the, the thing that you rate at the top, that will absolutely trickle down into your family. So ask the question, dad, husband, what have I made important? What am I valuing? And I'll be honest, there's all kinds of ways that we can hide this. There's all kinds of ways that we can mask this. Providing for my family, yes, and you should. Scripture says too. Providing for your family is not nearly as important as being sure that their souls are secure. We, um, I got tricked into doing a lock-in. <sighs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I've been a youth pastor now six years. I've been in youth ministry for about 10 years now. And I've done like five or six lock-ins, and every time I say it's the last one, I'll never do it again. So then we hire a Gen Z to come in and be our youth director, and she's like, we're doing a lock-in. <laughs> all right, look, I'm only 27, but I realize that after 25, you don't bounce back from an all-nighter nearly as easy. <laughs> For three days, I don't, it was a blur. I don't remember anything. Y'all was in church with y'all last week, but I wasn't here. I was somewhere, my mind was somewhere else. I was so tired. But at this lock-in, something really interesting happened I walked around, I tried not to jump a whole lot because, you know, your back kind of compresses after, you know, when you're old. I'm not old, but you know what I'm saying. And um, so I'm just walking around, just seeing what's going on, and I cannot tell you the amount of students that called my name. Devin, Pastor Devin, watch this. And for the first two hours, I was like, cool. And then after that, I'm like, what is going on? But the Lord showed me something. I'm not kidding. He showed me something. A little girl called my name, and she wanted to show me a trick. What the Lord showed me is that she has none of that attention from her father. So when I speak to the fathers and I tell you that what you deem important will be important to your children, that's serious. 
And that is a challenge to every husband and father in this room. It is your responsibility to lead your family. It is your responsibility to lead your children. Isaiah 42.8 says that I am the Lord and that is my name. I will not share my glory to anyone else nor share my praise with carved idols. He is a jealous God. Exodus chapter 20 verse 5 says, You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. He says, I will not tolerate your affection. That's some strong language right there. Move on to Ezekiel chapter 8 verses 6 through 12. But come and you will see even more detestable sins than these. Then he brought me to the door of the temple courtyard where I could see a hole in the wall. He said to me, now son of man, dig into the wall. So I dug into the wall and found a hidden doorway. Go in, he said, and see the wicked and detestable sins they are committing in there. So I went in and saw the walls engraved with all kinds of crawling animals and detestable creatures. I also saw the various idols worshipped by the people of Israel. Seventy leaders of Israel were standing there with Jazaniah, son of Shaphan, in the center. Each of them held an incense burner from which a cloud of incense rode above their heads. Then the Lord said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the leaders of Israel are doing with their idols in dark rooms? They are saying the Lord doesn't see us and he has deserted our land. The second thing, if you're taking notes, that they point out here are hidden idols. Hidden idols. God sees every one of your hidden idols. And the thing about hidden idols is, idols is this, is that we all have them. They're all things that we, that, that we have that the only person that knows about them are you and God. You're not hiding anything from God. I know that's not exactly the most encouraging thing to hear this morning, but he knows, okay? He knows, he sees it, he knows your heart, he knows the condition of your heart, he knows your heart posture, he sees straight into every thought, he knows about the hidden things. And here's the craziest part, is that when, it wasn't just that there were, there were people who were worshiping idols in secret, it was that it was Jazaniah and 70 leaders of Israel. We find later in the book of Ezekiel that Jazaniah was actually one of the leaders of Israel. And he's in a dark room, one that was not easily accessible. It wasn't just a door. It was a hole in the wall that he had to dig through to get into this dark room. What you're hiding is always brought to light. Jesus sees every bit of it and he already knows. And what he wants is for you to bring your secret idols and hidden sins and actually bring them to light. Daniel 2.22 says, he reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies in hidden darkness, though he is surrounded by light. Luke 8.17 says, for all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open and everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. See, the issue here is not just about hidden idols. The issue here is that we don't actually believe in God enough to put him ahead of those things. Like, I believe that every person in this room, I really truly believe this, every one of you in this room, myself included, we have a general belief in God. Like, we believe in God. We're here. We believe in God. We can historically even say that a Jesus God existed. We can prove that through history. But do you know how I know that we don't 
all, like really wholeheartedly with everything that we are, believe in God? Because we let things like hidden idols take root in our lives and eat us from the inside out until one day it has no choice but to be exposed. If we really believed, I mean like really believed that he is the most high God that spoke earth into existence, that spoke everything that we do to, to happen. He, he, he is the, the God of, of everything. If we really, with all of our hearts, believe that, would we allow those things to, to, to stay in our lives hidden? So the question is, is all right, let's just be honest. When, we, when I talk about hidden idols, we talk about these things. The first thing that 99% of your minds went to was porn, right there. And it is a, pornography is an epidemic today. If you ever let your kids come to youth and they didn't know what that was, sorry, because I talk about it a lot with our kids. Because they need to know this is a battle. It's a spiritual battle. It's a physical battle. It is eating us from the inside out and it will not stand in his church. The church has waged a war on pornography. That's happened. Yeah, that's, I mean, we need to be doing that, absolutely. But I'm not just talking about that. What about the conversations that we have behind closed doors that we don't want anyone to know about? Are we allowed to talk about that for a minute? Are we allowed to talk about the, the thoughts that we have about people that, that we try to just push down and hide or, or even the conversations we have with friends about what the preacher said on Sunday? I just didn't like that that just wasn't very good preaching. We're going to get an email. It's going to be good. <laughs> but what about those hidden sins? What about those hidden idols? Oh, that's not an idol. How can that be an idol? It can be an idol because for that moment, you said what I have to say, my gossip, the things that I have to get out of my mouth are more important than the God that told me not to. That's exactly what we're saying in those moments. And this is important. Gossip stirs up bitterness. Bitterness jumps onto so many people. And you think that you're clean and everything's good and you're walking around and we're spreading bitterness. And you know what bitterness does? Bitterness tears down his church. You want to take down a church? Start talking. Start spreading bitterness. Bitterness destroys his church. And with that, we'll move on to the next thing. Ezekiel 8, 14 says, He brought me to the north gate of the temple. And some women were there weeping for the God to us. So the third thing, if you're taking notes, that he pointed out was man-made idols in the temple. So we have man-made idols, hidden idols. Now we have man-made idols in the temple. Here is the, the, the amazing thing about this, okay? This God to us, I looked up this God to us. This God to us was a Babylonian fertility God. So when I asked the question earlier of like, why did God not give an encouraging word at this moment? Like, Israel needs, like, his people need an encouraging word, and instead, God decides just to slap them. So why did he do that instead of this? But then you get where there, these people, these women, are in the temple, at the gate, and they're not worshiping God. They're worshiping a Babylonian God. What they allowed to happen was they allowed their circumstance to take them over and instead of holding true to, a, to the real living God, they started running to the gods of the culture that they were so indoctrinated in. What gods of our culture today are we worshiping? Is it the news? 
Can we not turn it off for just a moment? Are we so caught up in the political world that we can't just shut it off for a minute and maybe believe for half a second that God's already written this story, that he's already gotten it figured out? This isn't a surprise to him. But instead, we find these women in the temple, and that's the amazing part, they're in the temple, worshiping another God. That going to church and have a relationship with Jesus are not the same thing. It is not the same thing. Showing up to the house, giving your patty cake praise, dropping five bucks in the, in the box on your way out the door does not secure your salvation. As much as I wish it did. As much as I wish we could just be handing out, you know, like train tickets. Here's your ticket to heaven. Good job. That's not how it works. But that Jesus actually requires us to understand his atonement. Us to receive the atonement, to receive the salvation, and to live a life. Well, we can never live a life worthy of what he gave us, but we can try. I know that I can't live a life worth the, 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 uh, the saving atonement that they came upon me when I accepted salvation. But what I do know is that every single day I'm going to get up and I'm going to try. And church, what he's asking for you today is not to serve more, not asking you to give more. Church might be. But he's not asking you to do all those things. What he's actually asking you for is for you to actually dive into his word, develop a relationship with him, hear his voice, read his words, and know his heart. That's what he wants from us. John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11 says, He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Now, we know that there were a lot of places that, we can read through the the, the Gospels and find places that they literally rejected Jesus. Like, we hear the stories of them doing that. But what we don't know is how many people sat in the temple, sat in the synagogue, listened to Jesus speak, listen to him teach, and still rejected him. How many times were, how about when um, the Sermon on the Mount, all those thousands of people sitting around and, and he's, he's teaching, how many of those people truly believed everything that he had to say? See, we, we don't know the answer to that. But what I can ask for today is, do you? When you pick up the Bible and you read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and you go through that Sermon on the Mount and you, you, you read Jesus' words, are you taking those words and going, this was, is the very Savior of creation speaking and I need to know these words. And what's sad and something that I long to, I have a goal to fix within our youth is how many people come to church for years and years and years and years but couldn't tell you what Matthew 5, 6, and 7 say. The Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous things ever spoken by our God. So the question is, do we actually read his scripture and believe it to be the God of all creation or not? See, he doesn't just want your leftover time. He wants your first fruit, the first of your time the first of your soul, the first of your attention. He wants the first of you. And the reality is for many of us is that the time with the Lord that we get is if I have time. If I get around to it. If there's more time in my day. 
This is 2022. The number one drug in our society right now, right now is busyness. It's the truth. You could have asked me any day of last year, how's it going? Oh, I'm busy. Hey, man, you're doing good. Ah, I'm busy. I literally had a friend ask me how it was. I said, man, I'm so busy. He goes, no, but how are you? Like, we've allowed busy to become an answer when someone asks us how good we are. Busyness is, is not a reflection of, of a good state of being. As a matter of fact, busyness is actually squeezing the soul out of us. I'll tell you just to be completely honest and open with you. Before I went on sabbatical, I got really good at being a pastor and really bad at being a Christian. I was really good at my job and processes and systems. And I, thankfully, I have a father and a pastor that looked at me and said, you're messed up, even when I couldn't see it. And I had to go out of town. I had to do some soul searching, figure out if this is what I want to do the rest of my life. If I'm right, what's going on? And God smacked me around a little bit and was like, all right, dumb, dumb, let's get back and do this thing. <laughs> but I will tell you this, after coming back from sabbatical, I will not let busyness take over my relationship with God. It won't happen. Because no matter how many things that I can get good at doing at one time, it, for, even for the Lord, it does not replace my time with him, my relationship with him. The reality is, is that Jesus wants to walk with us. He wants to walk us into holiness. He does not expect you to have it all together. People think that we have to have it all together when we come to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and that is not the truth at all. He wants you right where you are, right how you are, as dirty and messed up as we all are. He wants us right there. He says, if you just look to me, I will walk you into this. And I'm wrapping up my last point here. If the band can go and come back up. Ezekiel 8.16 says, Then he brought me into the inner courtyard of the Lord's temple. At the entrance of the sanctuary between the entry room and the bronze altar, there were about 25 men with their back to the sanctuary of the Lord. They were facing east, bowing low to the ground, worshiping the sun. The fourth thing, if you're taking notes, is God made idols in the temple. We've had man-made idols. We've had hidden idols. We've had man-made idols in the temple, and now we get to what chapter 8 says is the, 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 the most detestable sin in this chapter is God-made idols in the temple. These men were in the house of God with their backs to the sanctuary, worshiping something that God had made. How many of us career Christians do that? We've made religion our idol. We come into church every week, we sit on the same row that we always sit on, and we leave the exact same way that we came in. We might be a little bit inspired sometimes, we might be a little, bit, a little happy sometimes or encouraged. Sometimes we leave really convicted and mad and never going to come back and hear that pastor again. But we come in and we do the same thing week after week after week. It's no longer coming in to worship God, it's coming in to worship a routine. It's coming in to do the same thing that, well, I guess I've been doing this since I was a kid, so I just might as well keep on coming. I'm a pastor's kid. You know how many church services I've sat in? Slept in? I, I'm not lying to you. I see Gentry in the back. He knows. He's a PK. 
But see, my, my, his relationship, their relationship with God couldn't save me. I couldn't do it on their coattails. I had to make a decision for myself that I was going to follow after Jesus. Your routine of showing up to church every week will not save you. It's important. I'm not telling you not to come to church. Come to church. Show up. Get involved. Serve. Tithe. Do all those things. But doing those acts alone do not save you. That will not save your soul. It will not save your family's soul. You're the one who has to make a decision that I am going to follow Jesus with everything that I am. With all of me. Some of us come into the house and we're really involved during worship, but we check out during the sermon. Maybe we've made good worship our idol. I did. It's not that hard to do. You know how I know? Because when I left, I couldn't tell you a word that he preached. I was here, I was in the house. And I had to go to my pastor wearing his staff pastor hat, not his son's hat, and I had to ask for forgiveness. And then I had to go to God and ask him for forgiveness. We can just as easily mistake God for the things that he's done, for the blessings that he's given. We don't come to church for buildings. We don't come to church for notoriety, for fame. We show up to this house week in and week out as a celebration of who he is to worship the King of Kings, to get energized and recharged, to go back into that world and make disciples. Because there, here's a truth. Are you ready for this? There is a lost and dying world out there. Man, somebody should do something about that. That's our job. It's our job. We're not waiting on the next great evangelist. We're not waiting on the, on the next great preacher to come through. No, it is my job as a child of God, not as a pastor, not as a man, not as an adult. Students, hear me. Your friends need the hope that you have. Your friends need Jesus too. And we have people all across our lives that we come in contact with every day that have no idea about our God. Don't worship his blessing. Worship him. I'm, I'm completely closing out this time, I promise. Last week I went to uh, Thai Kitchen, Pastor Jeremy Davis. If you guys don't know Pastor Jeremy Davis and Jana and his wife, you guys need to meet them. They're an incredible couple. And I was talking to him about what I'm preaching and he reminded me of something that has just stuck with me since that, that, that lunch we had. It's that all sin comes back to one thing. All sin, back to one thing. Idolatry. The act of placing something or someone higher than God. It all comes back to the same place. When I willingly choose to sin, when I choose to, to break God's heart, what I'm actually saying is at that moment, my desire, 
This thing that I have for whatever this sin is, is more important, is more beautiful, is more holy than God. So all sin comes back to this one place. So might I submit to you this morning that our sin problem is simply a problem of placing idols above Jesus. The misalignment of our focus, the misdirection of our attention, believing that someone or something is greater than Jesus. And if idolatry is ultimately a sin problem, then idolatry is ultimately an eternity problem. Do not think for a moment that idolatry does not mess with your eternity. There can be no other gods before him. There can be nothing else more important than him. There can be nothing else higher than him. There can be nothing else that has our focus more than he does. It all comes back to believing that something is greater than Jesus. And if I had to summarize this whole sermon to one sentence, what you worship matters. Can we stand? What you worship matters, church.